Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the aliens and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. You know, God has a particular concern for the poor, the oppressed, the orphan, the widow. And the founder of the Free Methodist Church, B.T. Roberts, he established that the mission of the Free Methodist Church was twofold. One, to maintain the biblical standard of Christianity. And two, to preach the gospel to the poor. And you may hear that and be like, well, what about the rich? <laughs> Doesn't God care about them too? Yes, He does. But He has a concern for the poor and the needy. If you look through the Psalms, you often see two words that pop up in the Hebrew, Ani and Evyon. Can you say Ani? Ani, Evyon. Poor and needy is how it's translated. Ani is afflicted, humble, and poor. Evyon is in want and needy. So sometimes you see the word poor, it's not always somebody who's in want, but it's somebody who's been afflicted or oppressed or humble. I'm going to read a few verses for you. Chapter 40, verse 17. Yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. O my God, do not delay. 70, verse 5. Yet I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. Basically the same verse. 74, 21. Do not let the oppressed retreat in disgrace. May the poor and needy praise your name. In 86.1, Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Have you ever been in a place where you're poor and needy? 140 verse 12, this is the last one. And I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. Aren't you thankful that God is like that? And Psalm 109 verse 16 describes the wicked and deceitful man or the evil person as he who has refused all kindness to others and who has persecuted the poor and needy. And he has bounded the brokenhearted to death. But God is the one who attends to the poor and needy. And in this case, it's David. And what do we know about David? Boy, he's a rich king. <laughs> Yet he identifies himself as the one who is poor and needy. Isn't that interesting? For I am poor and needy and my heart is wounded within me, he writes. It seems to me that the poor and needy in the Psalms are not those people over there. But it is indeed the people of God who are the poor and the needy. And sometimes, maybe all the time, or most of the time, we all identify as the ones who are beckoned into God's presence in the hymn, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Is that you and me today? It is us. 
And that's the right view and the right posture of the Christian church. We are the poor who have been saved. We all, and we also preach good news to the poor who have yet to come to Jesus. Now, despite what the world may tell you, to be poor is not a bad thing. Just like being rich is not always a good thing. To live in poverty is not what God desires for people. To be in poverty is not how life was designed. And there are many causes to poverty, but two are, there are two different causes to poverty described in Proverbs. Now, there are many other causes to poverty, but Proverbs gives us two. It's poverty that comes from laziness. Chapter 10, verse 4, it says, Lazy hands make a poor man, but diligent hands bring wealth. And then it's a poverty that comes from injustice. Chapter 13, verse 23, A poor man's field may produce abundant food, but injustice sweeps it away. And we as a church must stand up to both causes of poverty. We don't put up with either. Laziness is not part of God's kingdom. And of course, injustice has no place in God's kingdom. Proverbs 29 verse 7 says, The righteous care about justice for the poor, but it is the wicked who have no such concern. Now the poor opposite of poverty is no good either, and that's great wealth. Jesus gives all types of warning to the rich. He says how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And even in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, those who are rich say, I am rich, and I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Have you ever been at that place in life where you have all that you need, you don't need a thing? I think many of us are there. Yet the world would tell us we're not rich, we need to accumulate more. So I'm rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But Jesus responds, But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now that's perspective. Can you imagine him telling that to Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos? In Proverbs 30, verse 9, sorry for giving you lots of scripture right now, but I'm almost done with that. For if I grow rich, this is a good mindset to have. If I grow rich, I may deny you, O Lord, and say, Who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. And contrary to popular belief, there is no shame in being poor. Ecclesiastes 4 speaks of the poor, wise person who listens, who listens to people and also receives advice. And Ecclesiastes 9 speaks of a poor, wise person who delivers a city but is then forgotten and is, his words are no longer heeded. It's as if the two go hand in hand, being poor and being wise. There is wisdom in being poor. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10 says, Whoever loves money never has enough money. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Naturally, because of our love of money and power and influence, we often neglect or overlook the instruction of the poor wise man. We'd rather listen to somebody with influence and power and prestige and honor rather than listen to the one who is humble 
and lonely and meek and pure. After all, the greatest poor wise man is none other than Jesus. He too was rejected and afflicted and disobeyed. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, how rich was Jesus? Or how rich is Jesus? You can't even measure it. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became what? Poor. So that through his poverty, we might become what? Rich. Our source of life and our model for life became poor. And if your riches are in heaven, then why worry about what you have on earth? Why be tied to anything or be bound by anything? For the allures of riches are always a dead end. Riches never provide what a person fully needs. And in fact, it often leads to more problems. As the old saying goes, more money, more problems. Don't you love that? That's an American proverb. We teach, and so we teach and encourage each other and our children to desire the goodness that only God can provide. Here they are, salvation, which is only found in Christ. Truth, love, integrity, health, family, purposeful work, community that is committed to following Jesus and that helps each other in times of need. Paul writes these things in Philippians chapter 4. He says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And I would add on to that, run after these things. Pursue these things. Don't run after wealth. You can be poor according to the world's measure and yet also be extraordinarily rich according to God's measure. Amen? And in order to have this, you, O oh church, you have to become poor. It's simple to teach. It's very hard to do. And here's the two ways to do it. Forsake the wealth of the world and to be generous. For those of you who have worked in corporate America or who, who may be working just a normal day job or at least see people around you, our world is in a hurry. And there is a rat race, a rat race where people are consumed by their work in order to earn the extra dollar. In Romans 12, I guess I have lots of scripture. <laughs> Amen. This theme is woven throughout scripture. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That's a way of being poor, isn't it? Empty yourself. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Here it is. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, this running after of wealth. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then secondly, be generous. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In other words, we can be generous to the point that it hurts, that it costs us, where we find ourselves sacrificially giving of ourselves and our time and our resources. And these two steps of forsaking the wealth of the world and being generous is the model that Jesus gives during his interaction with the rich young ruler, where he says, sell all you have. If you want to be perfect, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Forsake the wealth. Don't live by the patterns of the world. Rather, give to the poor. And then he says, come follow me. So forsake the world, be generous, and then he says, come. Come follow me. And we look at Jesus' life, for people who have said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you even unto death. And he says this, I have no place to lay my head. Do you really want to come follow me? I have no home. I don't know what I'm going to eat tomorrow, or if I'm going to eat tomorrow. Now, he doesn't say that specifically, but that's, that's the message that he's giving. You want to come follow me, you must become poor. It's not a common message you hear, but it's part of the gospel. How can that be good news? Doesn't God want me to be healthy and wealthy and strong and capable and influential? Doesn't Jesus want me to have my best life right now? How can I have a good life if I become poor? I would say, how can you have a good life if you don't? We follow him, the one who has no place to lay his head, the one who teaches to his disciples, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. The peacemakers. The persecuted. The afflicted. And he promises riches. And here are the riches. The kingdom of heaven. Comfort. The earth. And all that is in it. Fullness. Mercy from God. Seeing God with your own eyes and being called children of God. And then he says, right after this, to his disciples who are hearing this message, he says, you are the salt of the earth, affecting all those around you. You are the light that illuminates the whole house and brings truth and justice and hope. This is the community of believers who give themselves in a way that they become poor, so it seems to the world, yet indeed... They are storing up riches in heaven. Are we that type of community?
Now we look, does God only have mercy on and have compassion on us because he pities us? Can you imagine if God just looked at us and said, oh, poor pitiful you, I guess I'll help you out. Then how dare we do that to others? Does the church only have compassion for the poor because the church pities the poor? Absolutely not. The common work of the church is that we assist the poor and are generous to the poor. Yet because we, have, we are a community that loves God and neighbor and one another, we also embrace the poor as they are our own. Here's what that means. We as a church do not just serve the poor, but we incorporate the poor into the body of Christ. There's a big difference. Romans 15, 26 says, For you see, the believers in Macedonia and Achaia have eagerly taken up an offering for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. That's not just the poor people around the believers, but it's the believers who are poor. In James 2, as was read for us for our scripture reading, James 2 is a call to embrace the poor, not giving special attention to the rich over the poor, but loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, being hospitable, being generous, and seeing people as they are Jesus himself. We see Jesus in the poor, but we also see ourselves in the poor. And also, if we were to distinguish the church as a group of people who serve the poor, then we would automatically assume that the poor are out there when in fact the poor are in here. A church without the poor is a church that can't identify with the world. After all, the world is majority, the majority world is in deep poverty. And if you were to go around and look at all the churches, yeah, the, the large mega churches may capture your eye, but there are churches that are led by children underneath peach trees in the alleys where they're leading worship, and they are very poor. But wouldn't you want to be there? Some of you have. A church without the poor is a church that can't identify with the world. Now, giving to the poor is good in and of itself. Paul writes, If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. You could be a person who says, Look, look at all that I do. I give to the poor. I give away my wealth. But if you do not embrace the poor as your brother and sister, you gain nothing. What does it look like to love one another? To love those who may not seem to give in you any sort of social or financial advantage? What's that look like? In order to do that well, the church cannot just serve the, serve the poor, but the church must be a community of the poor. And I want to tell you, First Methodist Church, 
we had a time where that was so easy. But we are entering into a new era where our surrounding neighborhood is not surrounded by people who are in great poverty, but rather people who have great wealth. Our mission shifts, but our mission does not change. We have to be a lot more creative and intentional. But may First Free Methodist Church always be a community of the poor. John Wesley led the Methodist movement in the 1700s, and and it was, it wasn't that it was desirable. It wasn't that it was desirable to be a Methodist. But yet they grew, and here's the reason why they grew. They were strict and disciplined. And they grew also because they were poor. (laughs) Now that didn't bring the elite of society into their community. Their, Their community was of coal miners and farmers and laborers, these very hard workers. But those who were on the fringes of society, they reached the people who were neglected by the Church of England. They were the lower class. But yet they organized the new converts into societies or church plants. And they divided them into classes or small groups where they confessed sin and they cared for each other and built each other up. And because of this discipleship structure with the class meetings and the and also their work in the community of establishing hospitals and orphanages and soup kitchens and schools. John Wesley and his, and his, uh, and the early Methodists helped bring a whole generation out of poverty. And the poor church gradually became wealthy, which brought a whole set of different challenges to the Methodist church in the later years. But isn't that amazing that a community of people of the poor would create such a community that it would lift people from the dredges of society. That's what, that's what the community of Jesus does. It lifts people out of poverty and into a well, a life of, of, of serving each other and loving each other and sometimes creating wealth. I just want to close with this. Even though we are to be a community of poor, a community of the poor, the community of the poor is indeed rich. Micah asked me the other day, he was asking me about all the guitars that I have. I just bought another guitar. I plan to sell it. I just play them and then I get rid of them. But he said, Dad, is this my guitar? I said, sure, it's your guitar. And I said to him, Micah, all that I have is yours. And I gave that as a teaching moment. That, you know, because we belong to Jesus, all that belongs to Jesus is ours. And if he says, Dad, I want to keep that guitar, I'll let him keep it. But we have an inheritance that belongs to the king. And he gives it to us, his children. We are rich because the one we serve possesses all things. We are rich because we have communion with the Father. 
we enter into the Father's presence by the blood of Christ. And so we celebrate Him as we're going to do today. But we also know that we are never alone. And third, we also have, we're rich because we have community. This network of love where we have a common bond with brother and sister as children of God. And fourth and final, we have, we're rich because we have a mission. Our purpose is to make disciples, to baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to actively share the gospel and do good into the least of these. Because Jesus said, whatever you do unto me, whatever you do unto the least of these, you do to me. So church, I want to challenge you as we enter into this new year. May we be disciples of Jesus and learn to empty ourselves and become poor for the sake of the other. And that's a big journey. That's a big step. But I know that by faith in God and the presence of Jesus, we can do that together. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We bless you. We pray for our city as sirens and I think that's a dog whining. As people walk by, as people drive and go about their daily business, we just pray blessing upon the city. We thank you for your presence in our lives. We love you. Help us to follow you in every single way. Even if it means we don't accumulate great wealth. We forsake the world in order to have you. In Jesus' name, amen.